podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 9th of June, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out, excuse me, homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 and RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. We have breaking news. David Ornstein and James Pierce are reporting that Liverpool have agreed personal terms for Darwin Nunes. Deal is not signed. Talks are ongoing between the clubs over the structure of a potential deal. Benfica expect any sale to be worth a total package of about 100 million euro. What that says to me is they've agreed a fee and now they're working out the structure. It would appear that what the deal is going to be is somewhere in the region of about £65 million as a transfer fee and then an additional 18 to £20 million in add-ons. Then it's just about how much do they pay this summer, how much do they pay the next summer, etc., etc. What are the add-ons for? How easy are they to reach? Some of those add-ons will link to Liverpool having success, i.e. winning a Premier League and a Champions League. Some of them will be much easier to reach. 50 appearances, 100 appearances, 20 goals, 50 goals, etc. But it appears that Liverpool are closing in on the signing of the Uruguayan striker. And this is important because Liverpool are about to lose Sadio Mane. They have gone not stale in attack, but at times a little bit predictable in attack. And Nunes gives them a completely different look, gives them options in attack. They can stay with 4-3-3, as, as it is, with Salah right, Diaz left, and him through the middle. They could go to 4-2-3-1 with Salah as a right winger, Diaz as a left winger, Darwin as a nine, and somebody as a number 10. They could go to a 4-2-4 or a 4-4-2 with Diaz as the left winger, somebody as a right winger, Salah and Darwin through the middle. You could play Salah on the right wing and Jota through the middle. It will give Jurgen Klopp many opportunities to experiment with his shape. We saw it this season. 4-3-3 wasn't really 4-3-3. It was 4-2-3-1 and it was 4-2-4, depending on who that third quote-unquote midfielder was. If it was Naby Keita, 
he played it as a 10 and it was 4-2-3-1. If it was Henderson or Elliott, they largely played on the right, though Henderson did drift into central areas and it was 4-2-4. Nunes gives them a focal point in attack. He gives them a greater aerial threat in attack. He can play to the ball or in behind. Very comfortable by himself or in that two-man pairing. He is an outstanding young player. He will turn 23 in a couple of weeks. And Liverpool are getting him with loads and loads of room for development and the potential for that development. There is not an area of his game that you would look at and say he can't do that. There are areas where you would look at and say he's not particularly good there, but he shows potential. His passing, for example. Last season, I believe he completed 67% of his passes in the league. Now, pass completion is a funny stat because it doesn't really tell you the tale because it doesn't tell you what type of passes. Was he trying to play line-breaking passes? Was he trying to play progressive passes? Or was he just trying to keep things simple and wasn't able to do that? Well, it was the, the former. He was trying to play inventive passes when maybe they weren't the best decision at the time. That's something that happens with young forwards, with players who want to make things happen every time they get the ball. He moved to Benfica after a really, really strong season with Almeria in the Secunda division, went to Benfica for 24 million euro, club record fee for Benfica. They snatched him from under the nose of Brighton. And one of the things that's always important to look at is what clubs have been in early on a player. So let's take Erling Haaland, for example. The fact that the Red Bull Network went early in on him shows the type of potential that he has. The fact that when Kylian Mbappe was still in the academy at Monaco, you had Liverpool and Manchester City and Ajax all trying to steal him from that academy. With Darwin, it was Brentford, it was Brighton, it was, ben, it was uh, Borussia Dortmund, it was Benfica, and it was Liverpool at different times, all showed interest. Benfica got him. They're a smart club. They always recruit quite well, other than when they gave George Jesus too much power and bought a lot of old players that were just never going to work. Darwin struggled that first season. There's no way around that. He scored six goals in 29 games in the league. But... He was played out of position a number of times and he was dealing with knee pain. He had a procedure on his knee that summer and he came back this season and exploded. 26 games and 26 goals in 26 games. Sorry, 26 goals in 28 games, 34 goals and 41 across all competitions, six and 10 in the Champions League. And remember who they were playing in the Champions League. That was a really tough group that they came out of. They played Spartak Moscow, who are a solid team in the third qualifying round. He didn't score against them. They played ben, uh, They played PSV Eindhoven, another good team, didn't score against them. In the group stage, he scored two against Barcelona, who ended up finishing second in, in Spain. Now, I know they were fairly poor at the start of the season, but there's still a lot of good players there. He scored against 
Bayern Munich, who, as we know, were a very, very good team. Then he went up against Ajax, and I thought he was really, really good in both games, and he scored the winner in the second leg to send them through. And then he scored in both legs against Liverpool. So he scored against good teams in big games, and even in that Bayern game that he scored in, Benfica were awful. But he was the one that really did take the fight to Bayern. Even when his team were getting slapped, he was the one that tried to make things happen. I've been really impressed with him every time I've watched him. There's so much to his game. He's got a really wide-ranging skill set. We always talk about player comparisons. Who does this player remind you of? And obviously the Fernando Torres comparisons are there. He's got the build. He's got the speed, the way he carries the ball. He doesn't have that elegance of Torres. He's a bit more brutish at times. But that brutishness, that burly nature, that work rate, that desire, that's very Diego Costa circa 2013-14 when he was really making his name at Atletico Madrid and everybody was talking about maybe he'll come to the Premier League. Obviously he did afterwards with Chelsea, but when he was being linked with Liverpool, he's playing largely from the left under Simeone and was tremendous for them. Darwin shares a lot of traits with him and a lot with Torres. So if he brings that to Liverpool, that is something people can be very, very excited about. The fee is high. There's no question. 65 million up front is a lot of money. But that's just what top-end strikers are going to cost. Like, I expect Dominic Calvert-Lewin to move this summer. I think he's going to cost in the 60 million range. Nunes is the better player now. He's younger and he's got much more upside. If Ivan Tony moved this summer, I'd expect the fee to be 45 to 50. If Villa were to let go of Ollie Watkins, I'd expect the fee to be somewhere in that 50 million pound range. He's a significantly better player than all of them. And he's younger and he's got more potential. Haaland went for 65 million this summer because of a buyout clause, not because that's what the fee was. His fee would have been well over 100 million. And when we factor in agent fees, the fees to his dad, the signing bonus and the wages, you're looking at an over 200 million pound investment from Manchester City. Whereas with Nunes, Liverpool are probably looking at somewhere in the region of about 150 million, all in for five years. It's about 150 million. With City, it's 65 million to the to the club, 35 to the agency, 20 to the father, 20 to him. And then if it's half a million a week, 500 grand, or if it's 400 grand, say, if it's 400 grand, that's another 20 million a year. That's another 100 million over a five-year contract. So you're talking about 240 million, a 90 million pound difference. And remember this as well, Haaland is getting a buyout clause. Nunes is not. So Liverpool will control the future of Nunes. City could get two great years out of hurling Haaland and then face losing him for below market value because of that buyout clause, which has been the case, obviously, for Dortmund. Dortmund have lost him below his market value because of a buyout clause. So all things considered, Liverpool are getting a significantly cheaper deal for a player that I believe 
believe, while not as brutish a goal scorer, I don't think he'll get Haaland number of goals. I think as an all-round player, I think he's got more to his game. I think he's a, he's better off the ball. He's a better presser. He's a better tracker. I think he makes better runs. He's a better ball carrier. Haaland's an incredible finisher and can generate levels of power that just boggle the mind. But Darwin's a more versatile finisher because he can score so many different types of goals. I think Darwin's more adaptable. He's obviously more versatile as well. Haaland is a nine and that's it. And he's a nine by himself for the most part. And he played with Wang at Salzburg, but Wang was largely playing wide. He played at times in a two for Dortmund, but often was with Royce, who would play wide, or it was with Malin, and who would drift wide. It didn't really work all that well. He, he plays through the middle. Darwin can play in a multitude of ways. So Haaland is the better player. I'm not saying otherwise, but there is potential for Darwin to develop into a better all-round player. Maybe not the same level of megastar, but a more efficient all-round player. Imagine, if you will, let's just say Haaland becomes Lewandowski, Darwin becomes Benzema, that type of way. That's what I'm suggesting. We'll keep an eye on that one. Hopefully that one gets done for Liverpool in the next couple of days. They had the heartbreak of losing out in the Champions League final and then found many stolen from their grasp by Real Madrid just to compound their misery. They'll need to get this one across the line now to shake things up and put themselves in a good position ahead of next season. Now, um, Rasmus Christensen has completed his move to Leeds United for a fee in the region of £10 million. Solves the massive hole Leeds have had at right back. 24-year-old, almost 25, Danish international. Really good player. Really good player. And Denmark in recent years have produced a couple of other really good fullbacks. Joachim Mal, obviously being the probably best known of them. Uh, his form at the last Euros. And of course, since joining Atalanta, always worth watching. Um, if they were to commit to Mal playing left back permanently, Christensen at right back, and then let's say Joachim Anderson, or sorry, uh, yeah, Joachim Anderson and Andreas Christensen, spelt differently, of course, as the two centre backs, that's not a, back, a bad back four to be moving forward with long term. Christensen, R- Rasmus Christensen's 24. Mal is 25, Joachim Anderson is 26, Andreas Christensen is 26. They've all had their birthdays this year, bar Chris, Andreas, uh, Rasmus Christensen, so he'll be 25. So you've got two 25-year-olds, two 26-year-olds. For Denmark, to have the four of them moving forward, that's a very strong position to be in. There's also Victor Nelson, the centre-back at Galatasaray. He's another good player. So they could go with wing-backs, and Christensen and Mal might be more comfortable with that. And then Anderson, Dula Christensen, and Nelson as a back three. That's a potential back five that Denmark could have something special with. I like Rasmus Christensen. He was one of the players I suggested before as the backup right back for Liverpool to come in behind Trent. And uh, I think 
I think you've got to say Leeds have done very, very well to get him. Obviously, he has a relationship with Jesse Marsh, worked with him before, but there were other clubs interested, probably offering a little bit more money. He's made his decision, and I think it's a good one. He's been at Mitteljand, he's been at Ajax, he's been at Salzburg. He's been really well-schooled. He's been really well-developed. All three clubs noted for the development. Leeds are getting a very good player who will be a huge upgrade at right-back. And for that fee, I think they've done really, really well. The head of security at the Champions League final has admitted there were failings, but that their aim was to save lives. So he was being, I don't know if interviewed is the right word, he was giving evidence ahead of, uh, in front of the French Senate. And he was asked a lot of questions that he didn't seem to have good answers for. But he has admitted to a couple of things. He's admitted that tear gas was used. Previously, that had been denied. He has admitted that the figure of 30 to 40,000 fake tickets is fiction and that it was made up. He said that uh, he had estimated that at the time. He had made it up to try and protect his own neck. The truth is starting to come out. We all know the truth. If you've been following the story, the truth has been there all along, but is now starting to come out in France. In the face of extreme pressure from the French public, to be honest about this, because nobody believed what the Minister of Interior or the Minister for Sport had to say. They lied through their teeth. The French public knew they were lying and called them on it. And now we're seeing more and more of the truth come out of France. So that's a good sign. That's a positive. Uh, Alex Lacazette has joined Lyon from Arsenal on at Bosman. He obviously came through the Lyon Academy, made his name there. Said he never cut contact with the club. He's always been very proud and very happy um, to have represented Lyon. And Lyon are very happy to have him back. This deal has been a priority for several months, say the club. I think it's a really strong signing. I think it's a good move for him. I hope he does well. I've always liked Lacazette. I thought he was badly used at Arsenal. And I hope he does really well back at Lyon. Ed Sheeran has renewed his sponsorship of Ipswich Town's shirt. Uh, last season, they played with the logo for his tour. It's yet to be unveiled what will be the lo- what the logo will be for this year. But it's great to see someone like him, who's been a lifelong fan, using his fortune to to give back to the club um so i'm I'm, i think that's great credit to ed sheeran uh wouldn't be a huge fan of his music it's not for people like me it's for a younger generation i think but you know he's got a couple of decent tunes and he seems a decent lad so fair play valencia have appointed Gennaro gattuso as their new manager this club is the most dysfunctional club in all of world football, they had Jose Bordalas, who's a really good manager, and they sacked him on Friday to appoint Gattuso, who's a racist. So, you know, there is that. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Divock Origi and Loris Karius are among seven players to leave Liverpool. The other names, Sheojo, Ben Woodburn, 
Elijah Dixon Bonner, uh, Louis Longstaff and Sean Wilson. Hopefully they all go and find themselves some good clubs to play for. Jack Grealish aims to transfer his England form to Man City. Something for City fans to be excited about. You can expect seven out of 10s next season rather than the four out of 10s he has given you so far. Ireland lost again because they're crap. Simple stuff. They're, we're crap. There's, there's, there's signs of promise. There's some really good young goalkeepers. Basunu, Travers, Keller. There are some, I think, very promising young defenders. I think Oma Bamadeli is really promising. I think Nathan Collins is really promising. I think there's the um, the McNally kid at Oxford. He's really promising. And then there is the young centre-back at Cardiff, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but I will find it. There's Dara O'Shea, who's another good young defender. He's not young anymore, I suppose he's probably 24. But these are promising things that Ireland can, be, can build from. Uh, Mark McGuinness is the name that sent it back from Cardiff. There's a couple of promising young midfielders, Connor Coventry, Gavin Kilkenny, Will Smallbone, Jason Knight. These are promising players. There's uh, Adara Mola, the young left back from Crystal Palace. Very promising. Aaron Cashin of Derby, another young one. There's a lot of good young players. And we've been massively helped by the African dysphoria in Ireland. The likes of um, Omar Bamadeli, Adam Day, Festi Obaselli. These are players who I think can play a big role in the future. Uh, Armstrong Okoflex, the kid at, uh, uh, where is he, where is he, where is he? West Ham, also very highly regarded as well. So, look, there's something that, that, that Irish fans can be excited about, but it's probably not going to be under this manager. Not that I don't believe in, in Stephen Kenny. I think he is a good manager, but largely because these players are, 18 to actually younger 16 to 23 and i don't think he'll be given long enough to continue to develop them develop them i forgot about uh jason malumby who's another good player troy parrot the young striker from spurs one to be positive about michael obafemi seems to have his career back online i mentioned adam a day there's also aaron Connolly. like it's not the England squad, of course, we don't have that depth of talent, that level of talent. We did have, obviously, Grealish and, and Rice for a while. They were Irish, but they're not anymore. They're less likable now, I think. But, um, yeah, for the minute, we're crap. <laughs> That's what it is. For the minute, we're crap. And we will continue to lose games uh, moving forward. Uh, Garrett Southgate says he is pleased with England's display. It shows how little ambition the man has. It really does. If that was something you were pleased with, I, I really do think you should um, you should readdress what your priorities are for this England team with this much talent. Luka Modric has signed a one-year extension with Real Madrid because he's an alien and he is still elite. Even at 36, he will continue to be elite. 
next season at 37. Everton have been criticised after announcing a new front of shirt sponsor. So their deal with Stake.com, which is a gambling firm, uh, has been criticised as saddening by a prominent campaigner. Uh, Jim Grimes of The Big Step, who are sort of an anti-gambling advertisement organisation, he has said, gambling sponsorship is unpopular, unhealthy, and strongly rumoured to be on its way out of football. So for Everton to announce this partnership now is massively tone deaf. It is saddening that the self-titled People's Club is putting profits before its own sponsors, especially young fans who face a season being unable to wear the same shirt as their heroes while encouraging, while encouraged to use online casinos. Um, yeah, I mean, it does look like we're heading towards a ban on gambling companies being able to sponsor shirts from the start of the 23-24 season. So I don't know if this is meant to be a multi-year deal, but Everton may well just have to go and look for the sponsor next season. Uh, They've been sponsored by Kazoo the last two years, and that came to an end. They've also seen many of their sponsorship deals with USM, who are the club or the the company owned by Alisher Usmanov come to an end because of his sanctions. Everton have lost 372 million in the past three seasons. Now they're trying to claim that 170 million of it was due to COVID. That is nonsense, complete and utter nonsense. But even if it was true, that is still 202 million worth of losses which is 97 million of losses over what the Premier League allow in a three-year span. Fantastic. What a really well-run club. Jesus. Yeah, not great. Not great from the Ev. West Ham have released their new uh, kit for the season as well. Doesn't seem to be all that popular with fans. The design has been criticised. I thought it looked all right. Not great, but all right. Right, we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got some listeners' questions and we've got the gossip. I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, we've got some questions from listeners. Let's get into these. So, Sports Lens, uh, four questions for today's pod. Okay, just the four. Um, who are the top five centre-backs in order in the Premier League era? I'm just going to go the five best. Not uh, Longevity is just a thing that people use to try and big up players that weren't as good as other players. So in order, now I'm not picking, Van Dijk is the best I've seen in the Premier League, but because he's still playing, I'm going to put him at five. I would say 
Stam at four. Campbell at three. Carvalho at two. And McGrath, number one. Paul McGrath, number one. Even at the tail end of his career, which is which is where he was when the Premier League began, he was just on a different level. Carvalho came to Chelsea and basically developed John Terry into what people thought was the best defender in Premier League history, but you know wasn't even top two at Chelsea in the Premier League era. Carvalho was incredible. Saul Campbell was just outstanding. He was on a different level to Terry and Ferdinand massively overlooked. I, I don't understand why Saul Campbell was the superior defender. Yapstam is the best defender United have had in the Premier League era. He was just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And the biggest mistake Fergus never made was selling him. And then Van Dyke fifth, he will end this will end up number one when he's finished. But for now, I'll have him at five. What are the top 10 most iconic stadiums in football? Most iconic stadiums in football. You've asked for these in order. Order doesn't really come into that in this because stadiums are a personal choice. I'll just give you my 10. Anfield is one. Old Trafford is another. Wembley is the third in England. You've got the New Camp. You've got the Bernabeu. I think you've got the Westfalenstadion in Dortmund. You've got the San Siro. You've got La Bombonera in Buenos Aires. I think Hamden Park is an iconic stadium. The Maracana, without a doubt. Oh, that's a shout, guy. The Azteca in Mexico City. That is a hell of a stadium. Two World Cup finals. They're the 10 I'd go with. Anfield, Old Trafford, Wembley, the New Camp, the Bernabeu, the Westfalen Stadion, San Siro, La Bombonera, Hamden, the Maracana, and the Azteca. They're the 10. If you ask me to rank them, I'd probably go Maracana 1, Wembley 2, the Camp Nou 3, Bernabeu 4, San Siro 5, Hamden 6, Anfield 7, the Azteca 8, the Bombonera 9, and Old Trafford 10.
I've done 11 on that list. <laughs> uh, West Fallon Stadium will be 11. Um, if I was leaving one out, I would probably leave out... I'd probably leave out the West Fallon Stadium, to be fair. I probably would. I do think the Maracana is so special. And, like, the crowds it used to hold. The Azteca will always be famous for the 86 World Cup in particular. Hamden, there's just something very special about Hamden Park. I suppose you could leave off Wembley. Do you know what? It's the old Wembley that's more iconic than the new Wembley. So let's leave it off. Let's leave it off and keep the West Fallon Stadium. So one is the Maracana. Two is the New Camp. Three, the Bernabeu. Four, the San Siro. Five is Hamden. Six is Anfield. Seven is the Azteca. Oh, no, sorry, I missed the San Siro. You get what I mean. You get what I mean. One is the Maracana. Two is the New Camp. Three is the Burnabout. Four is the San Siro. Five is Hamden. Six is Anfield. Seven is the Azteca. Eight is La Bombonera. Nine is Old Trafford. Ten is the West Village. There you go. Right. Moving on. What's your early prem prediction for next season? Doesn't follow, have to follow any train of logic, but can just be a good feeling. My good feeling is that Manchester City will win their third Premier League title in a row. Liverpool will finish second. There'll be a significant gap to Spurs in third. Chelsea will finish fourth. United will finish fifth. West Ham will finish sixth. And Arsenal will finish seventh. But that will obviously change as clubs buy players. If you're wondering why I see Arsenal dropping two spots, because they've got European football next year and they've got a lot to do. I don't see any traction really for them on anybody yet. So, look, that can all change, but that's my gut feeling. And my relegated three, I think Bournemouth will go back down. I think Southampton could be in trouble next season. And I think Fulham could be in trouble. Uh, if you were in charge of UEFA, what three things would you change and why? Um, I would turn the Europa League back into the UEFA Cup and have it be a knockout com- uh, competition the whole way through. I would change the VAR process. I've said before, I'd rather see the VAR not be referees, current or former, have people trained specifically to be VAR. I would also make it so that you have to, that, that we as fans listening can hear what's been said between the VAR and the referee. I think that works brilliantly well in other sports. I think it works well in Australia where they've trialed it. So I would do that. And my third one is I would bring in some really strict rules on spending, rules on sponsorship. I think the financial laws are a bit of a joke right now. So I'd be look, I'd be looking to to check the, or to change those quite drastically. Um, moving on. 
Armin, this is probably a very unrealistic transfer since Arsenal would never sell, but what would you think about signing Odegaard? I think he could be perfect for the role for Liverpool on the right of the midfield three. I do really like Martin Odegaard. I think he's a very good player. But if I was signing someone from Arsenal, I would want Bikayo Saka or Emil Smith-Rowe or Martinelli. He would be fourth on my list. And if you're the fourth player of the club, I'm probably not going to spend too much money on you. Um, AMK2889, what is your honest opinion on the American players listed below? Did they make the wrong moves to either the wrong clubs or not moving at all? Do you feel that Everton was the ceiling for Howard? Or could he have been in goal for what was known as the top four at the time? Do you think Adu would have come close to hitting the potential that was pro- projected for him? If not, what do you think the ceiling was and what clubs could Donovan have played for him been a regular starter in Europe? Did some of, if not all of these players, go back to MLS too soon? So Clint Dempsey, Clint Dempsey was a good player. Um, he was probably a level below what was at the time the top four, but he was a good Premier League player. And you don't score as many goals from midfield as he did without having something about you. Technically, he didn't always shine, but his drive, his the way he covered so much ground, his work rate, work ethic, his intelligence was very underrated. He could always find a pocket of space. I think he had about as good a career as it was possible for him to have. Bradley. So I sat and watched him for a year when he was at Toronto and couldn't really grasp why it was that he hadn't done better in Europe. So obviously Michael Bradley came across to Heronveen, did quite well there, went to Borussia Mönchengladbach, had a failed loan at Aston Villa, a failed, well, did okay at Kievo didn't do particularly well at Roma and then went back to MLS at the age of 27. He was too young to go back, but I understand why he did. TFC offered him a big bag of money. But I thought, when I saw him play for Gladbach, I thought he could become a very, very good player who could play in a top club. Now, I think part of it is, I don't think he was kept in his lane properly. Like at TFC, he was sort of the midfield general. And I never felt like that was the best use of him. I always felt like he was better as the second guy in midfield. More that energetic box-to-box ball winner, a lot of runs off the ball, things like that. Too much Michael Bradley on the ball isn't necessarily a good thing for your football club. Now, look, he's had success at TFC. He won an MLS Cup. He's a two-time runner-up, um, champion, CONCACAF Champions League runner-up, won the Supporter Shield. They've won the Eastern Conference playoffs three times, obviously, to get into the MLS Cup. So he's had a good career with them. But yeah, I, I do think he's underachieved. I think he went home too early. Jose Altador. Again, he was at TFC when I used to go. He's a, a good player, but just never had the right desire. Never had the right level of of drive. And we saw it in flashes. I mean, he started off well with New York Red Bulls, had that really good 07 season. Not in terms of goals, but just 
as a young player, kind of as a breakout year, it was quite impressive. He was only 18. Um, he moved to Europe too early. That's the first thing to note here. He moved to Europe too early. He wasn't ready for the move to Villarreal. Had the failed spell at Hull. He should have been better in England. But one of the issues Josie had is he didn't really seem to enjoy the physical side of things. And he's 6'1", he's built really well. I think a lot of English managers thought this is a target man. So they used to lump the ball up at him. And defenders would just come to the back of him and leave him on the floor. He didn't enjoy that. Where Jose was really good and where he would invite contact was ball into feet, get his foot on the ball, pin a defender, and then out-muscle them on the turn. And when he started doing that with TFC, after a really good spell with Azel Alkmaar, and a failed spell with Sunderland. He joined TFC, and him and Giovinco were outstanding together. They really were. He was never going to be a big-time scorer. That's where the miscasting of Jose came along. He had one season in his career where he scored 31 goals. That was the second year at Alkmaar. Those two seasons at Alkmaar, actually, 51 goals in 93 games, 20 and 52, and then 31 and 41. Those gave people the wrong impression of him. He needed to play ideally with another goal scorer, someone that could work off him, someone that had pace and intelligence and movement. And when he was with Giovinco, that's what he got. Sebastian Giovinco, when he was at Toronto FC, that is the best player MLS has seen. I know better players have gone there, like Zlatan and Beckham and Gerrard, etc., but none of them performed at the level that Giovinco did. Now, I can't speak on MLS in the last couple of years. It is something I do want to get back into. But when Giovinco was really humming in that TFC team, that's the best player MLS had seen to that point. Sensational. Jose's issues were he made the move to Europe too early. I think if he'd stayed... In MLS, another couple of years, got a little bit more experience. I think he could have had a lot better career. As it is, he's had a solid career. And obviously, he's done fairly well at the national level, 115 caps, 42 goals. Um, But he should have had a better career. With his talent, with his physical gifts, he definitely should have had a better career. Uh, I haven't seen him play for New England Revolution yet, but I will check that out and see how he's doing. Um, we will do Brad Friedel next. Uh, I think he maxed his talent. I, I think Brad Friedel maxed his talent. I, I don't think you could argue against that. You could say that he maybe stayed a little too long at Blackburn. But he was very late coming to England. I mean, Liverpool signed him at 26, and he couldn't really play because of work permit problems. So he just sort of sat out for a couple of years. Um, He stayed at Blackburn too long. He was 37 leaving Blackburn. He was 44 when he left Spurs. Spurs signed him at 40, and he'd still been a good keeper for Villa for three years. He stayed at Blackburn too long. But I think he maxed his talent. I think Brad Friedel was very, very good. Had limitations to his game. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, he's 
he's definitely definitely someone who had a very good career a mad career like started off with Bromby then Galatasaray then went back to America for a year then came over to England it's a shame he didn't come to England earlier it really is and it's baffling to me that he didn't win more caps um but yeah Brad Fried was always a goalkeeper I liked and um Right, I think the next one here is Demarcus Beasley. I genuinely don't remember much of Demarcus Beasley in Europe. I know he had the spell at City. He always seemed a little bit... There's always those type of wingers who are quick and tricky but inconsistent and disappear in tough games. And that's what he always seemed like when I can remember him playing. But my memories of him really kind of stopped when he left Rangers in 2010. He wasn't a huge success there, but he had a phenomenal national career. 126 caps. But from a club career point of view, I don't really remember a whole lot of him. I know he was decent for PSV Eindhoven, but that's about the height of it. Um, Brian McBride is this last one, I assume. Brian McBride was a... Brian McBride was fairly average, I thought. I thought he was fairly average. I don't know that he really should have come away from the MLS. I kind of feel like that was where he was best suited. He had an okay spell at Fulham, but... I mean, a lot of graft, a very hard-working player, I think an intelligent player, good link-up player, obviously was a leader as well, so was, was good at rallying the troops. But for me, he always felt more like a player who, you know, you'd, you'd be happy to have him as your third or fourth attacker, uh, coming off the bench, playing in the Cups, that kind of level. Again, good national team career. Did very well in MLS with Columbus and then with Chicago Fire, but yeah, not not one that really struck a chord with me, to be fair. Um, you asked about Freddie Adu. Nobody could live up to the hype of Freddie Adu. I mean, at 14, this kid was the next Pelican. Nobody can live up to that. You know, and, and even say, like, take Rooney, who had a great career, but Rooney didn't live up to the hype that was around him at 16. Owen didn't live up to the hype around him at 16. These players rarely do. Messi's one of the very few who was talked about in these hushed tones at 15, 16 and ended up becoming the player people thought he could be. But Freddie was just, I mean, professional contract at 14. Like, what is that nonsense? How is it, How was it allowed that he was drafted first, by the way, not some random spot. He was drafted first in the first round. And that was so stupid. He's 14. He wasn't going to help your team at 14. Far too rushed, far too much pressure. What a bizarre career. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 clubs. He's only 33. He was basically finished at 29. Had that season. Like, and the thing is, there's gaps in this career as well. So he plays basically nonstop from 04 to 16 across a bunch of different clubs. Then he doesn't play for a year, comes back with Las Vegas Lights. Then he doesn't play for two years, goes to Osterfen in wherever they are, Sweden. I don't, I don't think he played for them, though, did he? No, he didn't play for them. Like, it, it's such a shame. It's such a shame. But his failings are not his fault. They're the fault of the people around him, the people that pushed him too early. And I understand that, you know, his family needed the the money and needed the boost and whatever else. But Jesus Christ, he could have been something in the end. He turned out to be less than less than even good. You know, he could have been something special, but stupid, stupid capped at 17. Nobody could live up to that. It was just obnoxious how much pressure was put on him. Uh, such a shame. Um, Tim Howard, I think Everton was was about the ceiling for Tim Howard. One of the obviously he went to United first. One of the issues with Tim Howard, obviously, is that he had Tourette's and that his Tourette's tended to come soaring to the surface when he was put under extreme pressure. So apparently he had quite a few outbursts at United. He had ways to obviously cope with it and deal with it but I think he needed to play at a club like Everton where mid-table was the expectation a good goalkeeper without question and then I think the final one you mentioned is Landon Donovan and the truth is I, I don't really know because like how do you judge him he failed at Leverkusen the first time he was too young Came across at 17. Didn't work because he was too young. Goes on a three-year loan to San Jose Earthquakes. Does brilliantly. Goes to LA Galaxy and obviously becomes a star there. He has loans at Bayern Munich and Everton. But like he was 28 when he came to Everton the first time. Then he was 30 when he came back on the second loan. At that point, it was too late for him to make a move. The truth is, I genuinely don't know. Tremendous player in MLS. Really good for the national team, without question. Maybe the best American player ever. But he came to Europe too early, and then he came to Europe too late. I think if he'd originally come across in maybe 04, if he'd even come across... If, if even when he finished up the loan at San Jose Earthquakes, if he joined another European club at that point, maybe we see something from him. Maybe he, he goes on and has a really good career in Europe. But he spent that first year with Leverkusen, who were on too high of a level for him, plays nine games. And then he's just shipped off back to America. He showed flashes at Everton the first time. 
That's what I'll say. He showed flashes at Everton the first time that he could have been something. Uh, the Langstar, what do you think the summer holds for Carney Chukwemeka? I think it will hold a move. I, I do think he's going to leave Aston Villa this summer. Really good player, really promising, but I do think he needs a move. Or he needs guarantees from Gerrard that he's going to play more next season. Owen Hurley, uh, with all the discourse surrounding Darwin, I feel people are forgetting, are neglecting to mention the big picture here. With Darwin Nunes, Thiago, Joe Gomez, Virgil and Alisson all in the roster, Liverpool are unquestionably the most handsome team in the league. Is the world ready for a return of the Spice Boys? Get the white suits ready. It might be that time. It might well be that time. Mo's a handsome man. I think Trent's a handsome man. Yeah. It may well be the time for the rebirth of the Spice Boys. Get those white suits ready, folks. Disaster is impending. <laughs> Uh, Pimataradox, there is a rumour of Fabian Ruiz being available for about 30 million. Would he be a good starter? Fabian Ruiz is a tremendous player. He's an absolutely tremendous player. And if you want to commit to 4-3-3 or you want to free Thiago to play further forward, yeah, definitely. Good age, great all-round skill set. Really consistent player. I would absolutely be in favour of him. Isaac Gilding. Uh, asked this last week. We think you missed it. What? Oh, with it looking like Chumeni's going to Real Madrid, would you be in for De Jong instead with Barca allegedly not being able to keep him? To my eye, at least, Frankie and Aurelian do a lot of similar things. They just go about it differently. Or would he cost much? I think his wages would be too high. The only thing, see, with Frankie, I think you need to put a really dynamic ball winner next to him, like an Ndidi type or even N'Golo Kante, um, preferably an Ndidi who's also a shielding defender, a shielding defensive midfielder, whereas Fabinho is more of a finesse defensive midfielder who reads the game really well and just takes good positions. Could it work? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you put really good players together, Oftentimes, they just figure it out themselves. So there's no doubt to me that Frankie could work in this Liverpool team. Could work on the right of the midfield three, could work in a double pivot. But I think his wages would be far too high for Liverpool. I think the fit in the double pivot would just be a little bit odd. A little bit odd. Could definitely work, though. It definitely could work, there's no doubt. Last one then, what are your top 10 worst teams in Premier League history? Oof. Um, the obvious ones are Sheffield United of recent vintage. Um, the Sunderland and Derby County teams that were record-breakingly poor. Barnsley were fairly awful when they were up. Let's just go through the, the seasons and see what we can get.
Right, in the first season, Forest went down on 40 points from 42 games. They, they weren't terrible. They still had Clough in charge and some good players. Uh, Swindon were fairly awful in their season in the top flight, it, it's worth saying. But 30 points isn't, isn't disgraceful, so we're not going to put them... Is that Actually, that's out of 42 games, though, isn't it? Yeah, 30 points out of 42 games is fairly poor, so we'll put you down here as a maybe. Uh, shout out to Paul Sterrett, the only Swindon fan I've ever met. Um, Ipswich Town, 94-95, and Leicester, 27 and 29 points in 42 games. So we're going to include Ipswich, and that gets Swindon off the the list because there's two worse than them there with the same amount of games and worse points. Uh, 95-96 were to 38 games. Bolton were bottom of the league. They weren't dreadful. Uh, QPR and City went down. City went down on goal difference. QPR weren't awful, so I'm not going to include any of them. Uh, QPR had also lost a couple of very important players in the previous years. Uh, Forest, Borough and Sunderland. It was a great year for Newcastle as they finished second and two of their rivals were relegated. But um, we will not include anyone from that season. Palace. Barnsley weren't actually as bad as I thought they were. 35 points. Neil Redfern was relegated with about three different clubs in a very short period of time. Uh, Forrest, Blackburn and Charlton. I don't think any of them warrant being tagged as one of the 10 worst of all time. Oh, that Watford team in, in 2000 were, were very, very stinky. So we, we'll put them down as a maybe. 24 points. Like, come on, that's... 24 points is just a shocker. Norwich are definitely going to be on this list, by the way. Norwich are strong contenders to be on this list for most of their efforts. Uh, Bradford in 01, they were fairly shocking now. Um, yeah, Bradford in 01 might well be might well be a contender. Minus 40, 70 goals conceded is just, you, just, you can't be at it. Can't be conceding 70 goals in a season, folks. Leicester in 2002. Derby that year, crap as well. Ipswich weren't bad. We're quite unfortunate to go down this year. They had a couple of good players in that team. Uh, There's Sunderland there in 03. Shameful. Shameful stuff. 19 points. 19 points. Play 38 games and get 19 points. Burn the club to the ground. Um, the three who went down in 04 were all decent. Wolves, Leeds and Leicester. But Leeds should be ashamed of themselves for going down. They, they brought that upon themselves with their spending. Uh, Southampton, Norwich and Palace in 05. Again, none of them were obnoxiously bad. In 06 then, it's Sunderland again. So Sunderland, two... Sunderland teams. So we're giving them 06. Was it 04 as well? 03? Let me see. 
So Sunderland went down with 19 points in 03, came back up and managed to get even less points in 06. That's really impressive. Um, so Sunderland are in twice. Fair play. Likely to be uh, a third Sunderland team, potentially. Um, 2007 then. We get Watford weren't great, but no, they wouldn't be. They wouldn't be one of the 10 worst. Um, Derby County, 11 points. Like, Jesus wept. One victory. 89 goals conceded. You shouldn't be allowed back in the division ever again. So Derby in 08. Stunning stuff. Stunning stuff. Oh nine, Newcastle, Borough, and West Brom. A, a bad day for the uh, uh, Northeast, but you know, neither of them were historically terrible. Uh, Portsmouth, they were terrible. They got 19 points in the end, but they were docked nine. They would have gone down anyway, but they weren't as bad as 19 points. They actually accumulated 28 points, so they don't go in. Um, West Ham, Blackpool, and Birmingham. No, don't think it'd be fair to really put any of them in. Oh, that 2012 Wolves team, terrible. Wolves 12. 13, 14. That's that mess of a QPR team, isn't it? They have to be in. One of the funniest seasons that any team has put forward. Spent fortunes and had Harry Redknapp and still did that. Nobody in 13, 14. Cardiff went bottom. They, they weren't even terrible. Um, 14, 15. Again, nobody was obnoxiously bad. Maybe that was the Harry Redknapp year, was it? Either way, either way. Aston Villa, 17 points. Three victories all year. Aston Villa. One of the biggest clubs in the country. <laughs> how does that happen? Like, seriously, how does it happen that a club who prior to the Premier League were arguably the fourth biggest club in England behind Liverpool, United and Arsenal? It was them or Everton, and they had a European Cup in their favour. And those two plus Spurs, that was the big six. Liverpool, United, Arsenal... Aston Villa, Everton, and Spurs. That was the big six. 17 points. Tactics, Timmy Sherwood. A heroic man. Sunderland, again, fairly obnoxiously bad in set 2017, so we'll throw them in. They were so bad, they managed to get relegated again the following year. So uh, they're definitely making it. So we've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We've got nine so far. 
I'm going to have to put in a Norwich team, so it's just a matter of which one, because Norwich deserve to be in uh, this type of company. Uh, nobody in 18 was that bad. 2019, Huddersfield with 16 points. I mean, you have to put them in. They have to go in 16 points. Um, Norwich with 21 in 2020. That was worse than this season. Uh, so it's probably that one. Yeah, so it's Norwich in 2020. Uh, just ahead of Norwich in 2022. And I have to remove Sheffield United because both Norwich teams ended with less points than them. So I'll move Sheffield United out of there. We'll put the 2020 vintage in. Um, right. Give me two seconds. So my top 10, not in order, we're going Sunderland in 06. No, sorry, we'll start with the oldest, which is Ipswich in 95, then Sunderland in 2003, Sunderland in 2006, Derby in 2008, Wolves in 2012, QPR in 2013, Villa in 2016, Sunderland again, three-time winners of this award in 2017, Huddersfield in 19, and Norwich in 20. That's a stinker list. Uh, I think that's it. I think that is all of our questions for today. Jesus, wow. Do you have brought up some bad memories with that one? Gossip time. Chelsea have told Romelu Lukaku he can join Inter Milan on loan if the finances are right for the Premier League side. Inter are not confident of reaching uh, an agreement because of the finances involved. Rumours are they want a £20 million loan fee. They are out of their minds if they think that is in any way realistic. Uh, Benfica forward Darwin Nunes is hesitant to join Manchester United because they're crap. No, sorry, because they're not in the Champions League. That's what it is. And it's also because they're not very good. Uh, Liverpool have pulled ahead in the hours. We know that now. Um, Manchester United have made an initial offer of £51 million plus £17 million in add-ons for Frankie de Jong. Frankie only makes sense if you buy a partner for him. If you just put him in on his own, it's going to be another Paul Pogba situation. Gareth Bale could sign for, for, could sign for Hitafe because of his desire not to uproot his family. I think that's nonsense. Uh, and his agent has dismissed it as such. Richarlison has told Everton he wants to leave the club. That's been coming. Uh, Harry Kane is optimistic about his Tottenham future under Antonio Conte, and he should be. Gabriel Jesus has been offered to Tottenham in a blow to their North London rivals, Arsenal. I don't see that happening. I also don't believe that City have offered him to Spurs. I think there's a lot of bitterness there over the Kane thing from last summer. 
City are set to make contact with Leeds over a move for Calvin Phillips. I think he'll stay. West Ham will listen to offers for Saeed Benrama. So the ex-West Ham employee says that that is the, the case. So you can take that as gospel. Former Manchester United manager Louis van Gaal has warned Ajax and Netherlands defender Julian Timber against a move to Old Trafford. I, I don't say I blame him. Tottenham have had their attempt to sign Marcus Rashford rejected. That's actually not a bad move for Spurs. That one I could see. He wouldn't be a starter for them, but he'd be a great fourth forward. Juventus have cooled their interest in former United midf- uh, forward midfielder, whatever you want to call him, Jesse Lingard, after initially expressing an interest in signing him on a free transfer. See, what happened here is they heard he was available on a free transfer. They immediately became interested. And then when they found out who he was and watched him play, they're no longer interested. Um, PSV Eindhoven midfielder Ibrahim Singer has his heart set on a Premier League move. Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United and Newcastle are all interested. See, if you put him next to Frankie de Jong, that might not be a bad midfield for United. Wouldn't be perfect, but wouldn't be bad. Manchester United and Chelsea are both interested in Wesley Fafana. Now, I have to stop here. I saw a video on Twitter last night that made my ears burn and my eyes bleed as two United fans from a very well-known fan outlet thing discussed Fafana to United and said that, and I quote here, for £80 million, it would be the worst signing in Manchester United history, that he wasn't very good, and that at £8 million, you'd still be unsure about it. That if he joined United, he would compete with Phil Jones as the sixth centre-back. He would be the best centre-back at the club by a considerable margin. United are the club that spent £80 million on Harry Maguire. It's one of the most laughable transfers of all time. They're the club that spent £89 million on Paul Pogba, who's the biggest flop in Premier League history. These are people who do not know what they're talking about and yet get paid to talk about football. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Inter Milan will keep hold of Alessandro Bastoni in a loan, in a blow rather to Manchester United and Tottenham. He wasn't going to United anyway. He might have gone to Tottenham. Southampton have made a move to sign Gavin Basunu from Manchester City. Rumoured fee is up to £10 million, including add-ons. I think he's a really, really talented keeper. I think he's special. I think that's a great signing for Southampton. Let's hope it works out better than the last one they signed from City. Uh, but good to see him wanting to get a move to go and play every week in the Premier League. He is good enough. He is ready. Arsenal have been offered a chance to sign Manuel Akanji. Uh, good player, injury prone, a little bit inconsistent, a little bit flaky. Uh, not what you need either, because you need a left-footed centre-back, not just a left-sided centre-back. He's a right-footed, left-side centre-back. You need a left-footed centre-back. Uh, and that's it. That's me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
Sports Social Podcast Network.